It's going to be a busy hour uh, for myself, but thankfully I've got the best wingman known to mankind. Uh, he is, of course, the co-founder and the chairman of Virtue Zone. I'll be the goose to his maverick over the course of the next hour. Neil Petch, great to have you back. Not in mirrored sunglasses, but thank you for that, Tom. Uh, Neil, it's been a fascinating week uh, uh, business-wise. I'm going to dive into a couple of the, the big stories in just a few moments' time. But I made a promise to that man out there in the green room, Mr Richard Dean, that before we went anywhere uh, on starting up with Virtue Zone today, I had, to ask, uh, I had to ask a lifelong Manchester United fans for his thoughts on your new league that you're going to play in. <laughs> the business of sport. Yeah, it's... Uh, well, thank you very much, Richard, for, for raising uh, uh, that. And my goodness me, talk about a surprise. I guess it's been planned. But something that would I would point out is given how well prepared they must have been by JP Morgan and the backers behind this, the answers from the clubs have been appalling. So entrepreneurs out there, when you know some publicity is coming, whether it be good or bad, seize the opportunity. Don't be incredibly unprepared with your answers. And to actually answer Richard's question rather than to dance around it, yeah, I love competition. I And uh, I, I wish for the chance to be able to beat West Ham every season. <laughs> <laughs> Which is something of a reality, really, isn't it? You know, we've all got rather used to that. Anyway, uh, we uh, divert. We've gone, a, we've gone a bit off piece there. We'll get back to all things um, uh, starting up with Virtue Zone. So let's start off with, well, the big stories of the week. Well briefed. The business stories you need to know this week. One of them that caught our eye was the fact that Dubai Commerce City, or DCC, because we love an acronym here, don't we? Uh, this week announcing the launch of 470,000 square feet of brand new facilities as part of the project's first stage. The DCC is the first dedicated e-commerce free zone in the Middle East, North Africa and South Asia uh, regions. Let's get uh, Neil's thoughts on that one. Um, uh, no, we are no sort of shortage of free zones. Uh, obviously, this is the first e-commerce free zone. Is this a sign of the times? 57 free zones and counting. And and uh, it's as if you, I set you up to ask me this question, because obviously people coming in, Dubai and the UAE is the best place in the world to set up your business. But occasionally setting it up, it's a little bit of a minefield. Mm. And when you've got 57 choices, it's it's difficult. So the likes of Virtue Zone, what we of course do is we listen to what you're trying to do and then find the best match for you. It's impossible to have 57 different zones that meet completely different criteria. There's going to have to be a degree of overlap. E-commerce is, is something that has been on everyone's lips for a number of years now, and I'm sure that this particular zone will have decided to specialise in it more than others and spend more time on that. And it, it really, it's actions, not words, that will count. So let's see, are they going to have more mentors in this area? Are they going to have events where they introduce the specialists? Because building an e-commerce business, of course, is, is a combination of things. It's logistics, it's process, it's technology, it's funding, it's payment gateway, mm. and so on and so on. So, you know, at Virtue Zone, we have a series of partners that 
that provide a perfect uh, combination of things to enable you to get that, that business started. Last week we were talking about some of the ways that you can receive payment through WhatsApp before you've even got your bank account, for example. So it's those sort of things that I would expect that free zone to to focus on. And it's you know it's great news. It's obviously a, a, a huge business. And I think that with global nomads increasingly coming to Dubai, it's, it's good that we're offering the world that opportunity. Offering people here who are already in an existing free zone, I, I, I wouldn't be quite so positive about that. So a question I wanted to ask you as well, it's sort of off the back of another news story of the week, is, is, is the federal approach to, uh, to, to, to free zones um, here in the region. You know, we've heard a lot about uh, the free zones available here in Dubai, but then obviously other Emirates have their versions as well. Uh, Ajman DED signing an agreement midweek with Noon.com to support the growth of SMEs and startups. Again, is that something that you and the team at Virtue2Own can guide on? Are, are certain... Emirates free zones better suited to certain industries and companies? Yeah, I mean, I think it's fantastic when individual free zones sign partnership and show that they're trying to to drive and support their customer base. Um, We do that ourselves. I I think that uh, what we try and do is hope hope for the best, plan for the worst, and make sure that our customers have all of that support. You'll see, you know, increasingly, so for example, another one, a classic one is is that the confidence comes into a country and a market when you have access to things that investors understand. We're going to be talking about raising startup capital later, but let's look at it from an institutional point of view. When DIFC was started, Uh, the interest rate that Dubai was able to borrow money at was much higher than it is now. We raised huge amounts of jobs. We increased the confidence of international investors in in the UAE, and that had that effect. So free zones, for example, embracing the use of the DIFC for arbitration and so on, that's how you can work federally and work together. Um, I would say that if you were setting up, for example, if you're setting up a company bank account in Bahrain, your KYC can be done in five minutes. Little shout out to certain individuals in the UA. That's not the case here. And the reason that it's not, or one of the reasons that it's not, is that there are 60 free zones, and each of those free zones has its own database. I'm sure it will be centralized. Once it is centralized, it'll make the bank's job easier to help our customers get their bank accounts faster. You mentioned that we are focusing today on all things funding and investment. A couple of questions out there that people might be asking how to get investors interested in your company. Look, it's been a promising start to the year when it comes to investment for startups, or so we're led to believe, Neil. According to research from WAMDA, startups in the MENA region raising uh, $396 million in the first quarter of this year alone. $256 million right here in the UAE. Figures from March show that fintech deals dominated. Uh, Agritech Logistics score the biggest dollar figures, including companies like Pure Harvest, who, uh, ironically, we'll be speaking to in a few moments' time. But um, break it down for us, if you can, before we go there. I mean, strong start to the year. But after all, it is off the back of 2020. I mean, have things changed or have you also been personally surprised by how strong a start to the year we've had? Absolutely. I've been incredibly shocked. But then if you head out into Dubai and you see 
traffic jams and you see yeah. hordes of people jumping over fences to buy property and it's the same thing. It's, I didn't know of the word disruption until about three years ago, and now everything's about disruption. But it's true. Dubai is a little bit of a honeypot for certain new industries that are booming. You only have to, to watch the, the, the price of Bitcoin and to see that this is an obvious place where those experts from all over the world can enjoy living. And as such, money's coming in, and, and it's, it, the onus is on us it's on our government, it's on private businesses to seize this opportunity because it's going to get hot soon and, and these, these people who are bringing in huge amounts of liquidity, in, in my opinion, they, they're going to go. We want, we want them to come back in, in uh, September at the very least and to give them as many reasons as possible. And part of that is, of course, they come in, they try it, they enjoy the lifestyle, they put the money in the banks, it's all very, very efficient. But then they can realize as well that that money can grow incredibly tax efficiently. So we need to give them reasons to do that. Strong start to the year. It's uh, You've heard it here. What's ahead for the rest of 2021? That's the big question. How do you get a piece of that funding pie? Give me the pie, please. What can we learn from those who've been there, done that, got the T-shirts and all? And what are venture capitalists looking for in the startup sector? The answer's coming your way next. Startup Spotlight. Sky Kurtz is the co-founder and the CEO of Pure Harvest. Who are Pure Harvest? Well, they were founded back in 2016, and they've gone on to become one of the most successful and game-changing startups anywhere, not just here in the UAE, but across the region as a whole. To explain more, here's Catherine Cunningham. Pure Harvest uses world-leading technology to grow year-round, pesticide-free, fresh fruit and vegetables in the harsh Middle Eastern desert. Founder Sky Kurtz explains... At Pure Harvest Smart Farms, we design, we build, and we operate high-tech hybrid growing systems that enable us to control the climate even in harsh places and grow locally grown fresh produce year-round anywhere in the world. Its mission to offer solutions that address agriculture security, water conservation, economic diversification and sustainability. Well, time now to speak to the man uh, of the moment, co-founder and the CEO of Pure Harvest, who joins us on the line, but also uh, via Microsoft Teams. Good morning to you, Sky. Hi, good morning, Tom. Great to have you on board. Um, listen, as a founder, as, as a successful uh, co-founder of, of what is an extraordinary it, – it's one of the organisations now that's put up as one of the great success stories of recent times as well. Uh, I'm going to take you way back. I'm going to cast you way back when, if that's all right, Sky, to those, those early days of knocking on doors, of doorstepping, of trying to get meeting, of trying to get in front of people. Um, just how difficult was it and has it become easier? Uh, well, thank you, Tom, for your interest and also for the uh, congrats. Uh, certainly it's getting easier, but it has been a challenge uh, and a long journey, like any building any company. Um, in the beginning, getting the meetings was not hard. It was convincing people it would be possible to economically grow food in one of the harshest environments in the world. I think traditionally agribusiness in this region is not, um, is not seen as a great investment sector. Um, it's, a lot of people have smallhold farms. There's a few commercial farmers. But really, the potential of turning this into a technology-enabled industrial-scale solution was pretty far-fetched. I mean, in fact, I, I joked that my wife's father at one point was wondering if I'd kind of lost my marbles uh, when I gave up a successful Silicon Valley career to move out to the deserts and grow tomatoes. 
Uh, but of course, uh, we had a vision. We believed it would succeed. And we brought that story to investors and many of them backed us and made it possible to get where we are today. Fantastic, Sky. I, I, I was reading in, in your bio that some of this started in, in something called the Startup Battlefield. We on this show have had a couple of sort of Dragon Dan uh, type uh, moments. Uh, were, were you involved in that yourself? And, and what role did Facebook play in that for it? Yeah, so we, we did participate in a number of challenges, but one was the Startup Battlefield. There was a, a huge event hosted in, uh, by TechCrunch in Lebanon, actually. And that was one of the opportunities to really hone our pitch, uh, bring it to a stage and present it to a broad audience. But that audience included a number of uh, very successful judges, some who had built and scaled companies in the region, some who were kind of of international renown as venture capitalists, et cetera. But really the goal of such an endeavor is to, to really bring your story in front of a group of educated and informed people to really pick it apart. And uh, it's a very helpful exercise. It's of course hard, as a founder, when you really believe in something and you're telling your story uh, to, to be criticized, but it's extremely valuable. And, uh, and I encourage every founder to do that with anybody you trust in your network. Um, it's interesting how important telling your story becomes, right? To really, when you're so close to it, sometimes you don't see the, the bigger uh, picture. And uh, it's great to have other people help you to do that. Yeah, because Sky, a lot of the people listening at the moment are right at the beginning of the startup journey. And so when they hear what you have achieved, it's amazing, up to $100 million. But sometimes they can say, well, I'm not in that position. But actually, you were in that position. And so you've given us a couple of tips of, of how you get started now. Can you, for those people who are right at the very beginning of the journey, just, just share the things that made it work for you? Uh, certainly. I, I actually provide this advice to a lot of people because I, one of the things that's unique about my background as a founder is I started on the other side of the table. I was a career technology investor uh, before becoming an entrepreneur. And I believe that with regards to how to position a company and raise capital, that certainly was an advantage, right? Because I understood mm -hmm. the process on the other side of the table, the decision makers and what success looked like for the investor. So first, I would say my advice is start from the investor's perspective, not your own, right? You're asking them for their hard-earned money, if it's an angel investor or for an institution, to back your idea. But of course, they need to believe there's a path to commercial success, right? They're not investing capital as a gift. Um, it's, it's to make it and generate a return, either for themselves or as their job on behalf of another pool of capital. So that's number one, put the investor's uh, perspective first. Number two, leverage the incredible amount of information out there. Um, for example, Guy Kawasaki, a, a phenomenal investor and uh, a builder of Zappos, publishes a great guide called The Only 10 Slides That Matter. And it helps you to frame uh, your story. I use it almost as a checklist in preparing a pitch. If you are not ready to cover those 10 slides, you are not ready to be pitching in front of anyone. You haven't done your work. So go back, go finish, and then come back. And that's an example. Also, Sequoia Capital, one of the world's most famous uh, venture investment firms, has a great list on kind of what is needed in a startup business plan. And it kind of starts with problem and solution. Why now? What is your USP competition? Basic things, but that people overlook and do not prepare for. And then they approach investors and wonder why investors are unsettled uh, when, they, uh, when they discuss uh, core elements of, uh, that underpin an investment thesis and that are not fully diligenced or understood or prepared for. So there is no shortcut. You need to do that work and prepare that to then come in front of investors. And if I can make one final point, and this is, I think, lost on a lot of founders, invest in yourselves before you have anyone else invest in you. Mm. 
And that can be relative to your means. If you don't have a tremendous amount of capital, that's completely understood. But to put zero and then expect others to put their capital in you, one of the things I look for when I angel invest in companies is I, I want to see that there's co-founders, ideally, not a sole founder, and, and on top of that, that they've actually put some skin in the game. They believe in their own idea enough to take real risk with their careers and with their capital and the capital of those who love them. Because really, if they're not willing to put that at stake, there, there's probably something to investigate here. If it's such a great investment opportunity, why aren't you interested? And I think it's a very relevant question from investors. But that also, I've invested in every single round of my company's financing. Mm. And as a career investor, I believe it's a good investment. I shouldn't be selling it to other people if I don't believe that I would put my own capital at risk. So those are some thoughts, I think, on how you can position yourselves and, and really um, come with a very advanced and very well thought out positioning. Leverage those tools available to you and, and prepare before you start taking those investor meetings. Quick question to you, Sky, about agritech as well, because I think it's a term that, you know, as you highlighted a little earlier on, a lot of people wouldn't really have been using when you set out in 2016. So is part of the road to success to be not just an entrepreneur that lives, breathes and bleeds all things entrepreneurism, but also be a bit of an educator in your field of expertise to those that are on the other side of the table? Uh, Absolutely. And especially if you're in a novel sector, So I oversimplify uh, venture investment success into what I call the four M's, the market, the management team, the model, and the money, right? And that's a very simple, simplistic framework, but I believe it's actually quite powerful. If there's anything about those four M's that is not well understood by the investment universe when you're trying to come seek capital to back building a business, you're going to have to become an educator. You're going to have to educate them on the market opportunity and why it makes sense why people are succeeding in other places, even if they haven't here yet. What the management team, you, and why you can pull this off or why you're going to hire the people that can help you to pull this off, right, as part of your business plan and the use of capital. On the model, that you have a clear plan for how you're going to monetize this and create value, and, and, or not only create value, but capture value on behalf of the company to generate returns for the capital. And then uh, last but not least, the money. How much do you need? What are you going to do with it, et cetera? So, The reason I mention that is you sometimes have to educate on any one of those elements. If you're meeting an investor who's not experienced in investing in ventures, they may need support to understand even how the money works, how they invest in this round at a lower valuation. In the future, there's dilution, but, uh, you know, the value will increase. And would you rather have a small piece of a really big pie? You know, these types of concepts are relatively novel to an emerging capital market. And I would say that the maturity of this market, even in the time I've been here, um, is tremendous, but it's still young. It's it, we're not Silicon Valley, and we're not some of the more established markets in places like uh, China. Yeah. Uh, but we're getting there, and I believe that this is a huge opportunity. But yes, you had better be pre- prepared to be an educator, especially if your business isn't some kind of derivative of another similar business around the world. But if it's truly novel and really uh, uh, you know quite unique for the region and for the investor. You know, put put that educator hat on and help them to see your side of the world. Sky also, you know, there have been a lot of businesses here been doing incredibly well. COVID comes along and then suddenly they're knocked back on their heels. I, I noticed that Pure Harvest in some ways benefited from the supply chain problems that COVID created. You've invested an awful lot of money in tech. So that next stage when you need to kick on, um, how have Pure Harvest uh, handled that side of things? Well, I guess um, uh, very true. We were, uh, in a way, a beneficiary of COVID, and that's a huge uh, – we're very grateful for that and very humbled by it because we saw how it really shook a lot of other businesses. However, admittedly, before there was COVID, part of our story was around food security, 
water conservation, economic diversification and sustainability. And that all of these could be achieved with one solution, which is large scale deployment of commercial uh, uh, agriculture solutions that would let you grow locally. So I, I think that in a way COVID was an awareness event, but to the point of for other companies uh, facing, uh, you know, post the challenge of COVID and what we're looking to do to commercialize our solution and take advantage of this time is we've now secured a ton of capital, right? It's helping us to build, uh, expand our presence here in the UAE. In fact, we've already planted that greenhouse and production will be hitting the markets in a big way in June. Um, uh, tomatoes, leafy greens, we're diversifying our offering. We'll also be producing significant amounts of strawberries. Currently we do it in a pilot. So we're really diversifying our offering, that's one. Two, we're expanding in new markets. We're building in Saudi Arabia right now and we're also building in Kuwait. And you know, pro forma for these builds will be over you know, 18 hectares of production capacity, over 180,000 square meters and a, and a pretty large scale company, well over 250 employees. So we're scaling up and, and hiring talent and bringing it into our company. But on the point of technology, one of the things that we did, and I would encourage others to consider, when you build your proof of concept, your, your, your MVP, which is commonly used, right, the minimum viable product, one of the things you have to do is set yourself up to learn from it. What is it you hope that it will show you to improve and resource the future? And it makes you, I, we call it fail small and win big. You fail small in that pilot, but then you learn what didn't work. And when you build a big one with lots of capital, you build the right thing. That is what we've done. So you'll, our deployment, our 2.0 solution, it's heavily informed by three years of data, crop performance, failures in equipment and systems, where the climate or the corrosive environment was super harsh on a particular you know, tool or subsystem or equipment, and we've innovated on those. And, uh, and really learning from the, you know, calling it, I would call that the Venture Capital 101 playbook, right? Build an MVP, see what happens, see how the customers respond, and then iterate. We're doing that uh, right now and, and really benefiting post-COVID to do that. Sky, we could go on for hours. Unfortunately, time is against us on this occasion. Really good talking to you. As always, Sky, uh, it is paying dividends, that's for sure. Uh, you are growing the grow, as they say. So a big thank you to you for joining us live on the line uh, to talk the talk and grow the grow. It is, of course, Sky Kurtz, the co-founder and the CEO of Pure Harvest, joining us live on Microsoft Teams. We'll have more for you next. You're listening to Starting Up with Tom Urquhart and VirtuZone. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Noah Swade is the founder and the general partner at Global Ventures. Now, Global Ventures ain't your everyday. It's no ordinary VC firm because it aims to make a difference. Catherine Cunningham has more. Global Ventures focuses on growth stage startups in emerging markets. The company's investments range from fintech to e-commerce startups like Mumsworld. The company was founded by Noor Swede, listed by Forbes as one of the world's top 50 women in tech. Swede was previously CIO at the Dubai Future Foundation and founder of the Zen Yoga studio chain. She's described as being passionate about enabling disruptive technology companies and their emerging market founders to solve real-world problems while changing the world with measurable impact. Well, the great news is that uh, Noor has been kind enough uh, to join us live this morning right here on air, but also uh, via Microsoft Teams. Noor, really appreciate your time this morning. Good morning to you. 
Good morning. Thank you for having me. Not at all. Really appreciate your insight on this one. So really fresh start to 2021, a start that's taken a lot of uh, people by surprise with regards to uh, funding and financing in the first quarter. Do you think that the outlook for startups uh, along with funding uh, is going to be promising as promising for the rest of 21? Well, I hope so. I mean, you know, the first quarter of 2021 had 60% more funding than the first quarter of 2020, which was a positive quarter. Um, And last year in 2020, we had over a billion dollars of funding across startups in the region, which was a record year for us. So I think that every quarter is going to be stronger than the quarter before when compared to the prior year. And every year is going to be stronger than the year before. So overall, it's definitely a positive trajectory that these startups have to look forward to. Is there such a good time? Is there such a thing as a good time comes to funding? And if that, if there is such a thing, is this a good time? I think there's a good time for every industry and every market and every region, and this is no different. And the region right now is hot on technology. Um, companies are embracing new technologies, new softwares. People are embracing new solutions that are more technological. It's very high mobile and digital penetration. So, yes, I think that you know, the stars are aligned to make this the time for the region to really grow in its technology space. I don't want to, you to give too much away of what you're looking at at the moment. But we just heard from Sky Kurtz, uh, of course, a great standard bearer and ambassador for all things agritech uh, here at the moment. What types of companies or should I say industries are you guys looking at at the moment? Well, we love agritech. We are also very big on digital health. So for us, digital health and healthcare inclusion is a huge calling. We have in the region 1.3 doctors per thousand people. In Europe, it's about four and a half doctors per thousand people. So we're four times less. And we see the healthcare inclusion gap very much the same way that we saw financial inclusion 10 years ago, which was when we tried to address that challenge, we went straight from cash and coins to mobile wallets and healthcare inclusion is no different. People are going straight from no doctor to teledoctor, from no diagnostics to remote diagnostics. So that leapfrogging of technology is something that the region is really good at, is something that we embrace. We're seeing the regulator in digital health embrace digital health. We're seeing insurance companies start to pay for it. You know, and whereas a year and a half ago, people have said, I'd never see a doctor remotely. Now people are happy to see doctors remotely. E-pharma is picking up. So across the board, then digital, digital health is very, very strong. And we're seeing similar trends in education and still in fintech. Fintech is definitely the hottest field right now for companies that are three or four years into their establishment. So I guess, no one of your investment decisions is based on trying to spot trends before everyone else spots them. I look in your bio and, and the word disruption comes up a lot. So it's, you know, it's something that we're all fascinated by. We're all trying to, to spot it. Can you, can you give our listeners three possible disruptions coming to the market over, over the next 24 months? I think in education, we'll see a lot more of the movement from pure academic and intellectual learning into more holistic and human learning. So what what does it mean to teach a child to be their best self rather than how can I cram more maths and science into their brain will be something that people are starting to really embrace. Um, In digital health, I think whole care solutions and prevention will be much bigger. So I think insurance companies are starting to look at how can we prevent people from getting sick and how can we use technology to do that, not just once they're sick, try to make them better. Um, And also in healthcare, I think the other trend is it's holistic. 
rather than symptomatic. So how do we treat the person rather than um, you know, the, the symptoms of, of one part of them? Um, and that's obviously in addition to Agritech. So, but, but that was spoken about enough before. Fantastic. So those are some trends, that's what we're seeing. And no, we're really privileged to have you, you on here. And, and uh, one of the things I see that happen early in your career, and today we're talking about raising capital. So let's all dream a little bit. I suppose the high end of the spectrum is IPOing, and you led an IPO. What was that like, and what did you learn from that? Oh, wow. That was in 2008, so it was a while back. <laughs> um, it was a very interesting experience. We raised $420 million is what we took in as primary. We raised over 700 in commitments. It largely came from New York and London, um, but into the region. So the company or was a Dubai-based company, the largest interior contractor globally, but born and, and kind of raised here as a young company. And at the time, it was about uh, 13 years old because it was established in 1995. So I think, you know, a couple of learnings is, you know, these success stories come and when we listed it was a billion dollar company, just over a billion dollars. We had Morgan Stanley and UBS as the book winners. I think when it comes to capital formation, knowing who's interested is key. So even now as a VC firm, 60% of our capital comes from international markets, not the region. And there are, you know, very sophisticated venture investors that are looking at investing in the region. And they, they know what to look for. They've done Latin America, they've done Brazil, they've done China. Um, they've done India, and now the region's interesting, so they're investing with us. And so similarly in the past, it was who's interested is the first question. So know who you're raising from. Don't try to sell somebody something they're not interested in, in buying. Um, and then the other part of raising capital is where's your growth coming from? Or what's your value proposition? Um, and are you doing something different and unique? So really focus on building the company and creating value and then the capital comes because people want to come along and support people who are looking to create value and build companies. And nor can you advise us? There's a huge number of international companies that sort of view Dubai and the UAE as having its streets paved with gold. And they come here with amazing fintech and amazing health and so on from abroad. Yet sometimes the companies that are actually based here find it harder to raise. So what could they do better to change that uh, dynamic? So we always advise our founders to focus on customers and, and clients and not focus on capital formation. I think once you have a few strong customers and clients and you have revenues coming in, then it's hard to argue that you're not valid, that you're not creating value. Um, we invest at Series A stage. So once companies have about a million dollars in revenues or maybe two million sometimes, we come in and we invest. And the question is, how do you go from two million to 20 million in a very short period of time? And then that definition can vary. So when we look at companies and we have 27 now in our portfolio, it's really which ones have clients. We can call five clients, make sure that this technology you know, works for them, make sure that this company is creating value, is solving a real problem. And then from there, we look at investing. Um, and so that's that's the advice I give to founders is really focus on your customers and your clients. And, and your first client is much more important than your first investor. Last one from us, Noor. Really appreciate your time this morning. Um, we often hear about the things that people should do in order to catch the eyes of would-be investors and funding. Give us one quick thing that you shouldn't do that's going to get the door slammed in your face straight away. Um, in our perspective, founders that are focused on their exits. So when we talk to founders and we ask, you know, what are you looking to to exit or 
you know, when do you want to sell the company? And founders who have a very, very ready answer tend to scare us. So it's usually, you know, you know, we want to build this company in five or seven years. When an exit presents itself, we may consider it as a much better answer. And founders should not, to answer your question, say, well, we've already positioned it and we want to build a billion-dollar company for the sake of building a billion-dollar company. No, you should be focused on what is the value you're creating, what is the problem you're solving, and not on, I want to build a billion-dollar company. Really appreciate your time this morning, as we've said uh, on a couple of occasions. Noah, thank you so much indeed uh, for your time, but also for the advice as well. It's much appreciated from such an industry leader. So a huge thanks to uh, Noah Swade, the founder and the general partner at Global Ventures, for joining us live uh, on Starting Up with Virtue Zone. You know what? We've got more brilliant advice from more industry leaders coming next. Company Clinic. Got any questions? Uh, are you thinking of starting up? Have you started up? Uh, have you hit you the buffers? Uh, are you looking for advice? Are you looking for funding, as we've discussed already in the show? Uh, well, this is the chance to get a few answers. Neil, alongside me. First question has come through from Shavir this morning. Shavir wants to know, uh, is there an easy way, Neil, to remove a local sponsor from uh, a company and replace them with the guidance of Virtue Zone. Yeah, it's a really good question, Shavir. And, and seeing as we're talking about raising capital, let me say that international investors are not familiar with the local sponsorship structure. So that occasionally would put a concern in, in their head. So what you want is a legal framework that enables you to be best set up to raise funds. Now, to answer your question, I'd have to see the agreements that you have in place. What I can tell you is is that what has been incredibly popular through Virtue Zone is the ability to have a corporate sponsorship. So it's a mainland DED LLC company, call it what you will, where you actually have 100% control over decisions and, and so on and so on. There's a whole bunch of reasons why having a local sponsor can be very good for you. They can strategically help your business and so on, but you should structure it in a way that you have total control and you, you're able to move from one sponsor to another. The best way to do that, which Zone offers, is corporate sponsorship where at the click of your fingers you can change that sponsor. And, you know, if I give you one example, Tom, we had a situation where there was an Emirati whose father was the sponsor of a company. He had emigrated. He was living in Ireland very happily. He was a doctor. Um, Sadly, his father passed away. That company needed to make some decisions. They couldn't move until the doctor came back to the UAE from Ireland to sign some documents. And he didn't want to. He was a very nice person. He wasn't trying to cause problems, but he simply wasn't here. And that company froze to a halt. So having a corporate sponsorship where in, in that sad case something like that happens, you can move on. It's very, very important. And investors will look at your structure and they'll see that you've thought of these things. Increasingly, investors are aware of the UAE and its particular legislations and so on. So they'll be looking for structures like this. So one of the tips that I would give people is always right from the start, structure your company correctly. Uh, your opportunity to get answers for your questions. All you need to do is get your questions in to us. Look, you can do it in the next uh, six minutes or so by texting us on 4001. Equally, uh, Virtuzone, kind enough to keep their social medias live over the course of the next hour after the show as well. So Christian and the rest of the team uh, will be delivering answers for you. All you have to do is go to at Virtuzone or at Virtuzone underscore UAE on Twitter. Uh, use the hashtag if you want. 
one, hashtag be your own boss or hashtag starting up with Virtue Zone. Um, quick question on the back of that one. It's come through via social media today. It's with regards to what we've t- been talking about today, funding and investment. In your experience, Neil, is there a finite amount of funding and investment here? Where is the majority of the funding investment coming from? Is it coming from family offices? Is it coming from uh, investors based here in the region? Or are a lot of internationals looking at seeding money into here for further investment? Yeah, I would say that the gap that we have is there's not as much institutional investment as we would like. And again, coming back to what I was saying before, establishing stock exchanges and so on is is very good for this and getting liquidity into the market. You don't want a situation where $100,000 investment can move a market. That's one of the concerns in the crypto sector at the moment where you might think you've made a huge amount of money, but there's no liquidity in it. So you've only made the money once it's actually back in your in your bank account. An area where we are good is friends and family. And that's the very, very early stages. And mm. people who, when you seek investment from inverted commas professionals, the better the friends and family round that you have done, and the more strategic some of those people are, the better your company will do. Because let's remember that if you're if, you, if your first thing is to go on Kickstarter, then as Noor was saying earlier, perhaps you're thinking about the cash raise rather than your company. And you're also diluting your company right from day one. So Sky was talking about the MPV and learning from the mistakes of your MPV. Wise, wise words. I would say the same thing. Try and keep your initial costs down. You know, one of the biggest challenges is having too much money to spend because then you don't spend it so wisely. Mm. Um, we are going to just wrap things up on what we've learned today. And both uh, 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 Neil and myself have been jotting down advice left, right. And I think I think our next book's coming out, isn't it? You Absolutely. Know, the, it's next health help book, uh, <laughs> uh, thanks to the advice that we've received today. I mean, just in summary, how, how, how would one get a piece of the funding pie? Okay, so let's start with the first thing, which is, does your company solve a problem? We heard that in, in uh, uh, last week's show. Particularly if it's relevant to something that's going on in the market. Get your fundamentals right, so be audited, etc., etc. The number of people that simply their growth dries up because they needed to borrow a small amount of cash and the banks are unable to lend because they don't tick all, all the boxes. So looking for other 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 sources of, of revenue. Learn from other people's mistakes. I think probably why I'm so uh, qualified to be on this show is I've made loads of mistakes. <laughs> so try and learn from them so that it doesn't cost you money. Use your friends and family. Look for strategic relationships. And then a key thing is when you know that you are going to be raising cash, seek to build that relationship early. Be passionate. Follow through. Don't do it once. Do it three times. And then you've got to work out. Also, you know, it's not just about the investor interviewing you. It's you interviewing the investor. It's looking for the right person. Don't waste someone's time or your time by going to the wrong person. Don't let money dominate because you've got to focus on on delivering your company. 
And also, I, I would say the other thing is, you know, we all listen to 100 million raised by Pure Harvest. Well, I think having listened to Sky, we know how he managed to do that. But sometimes you're just amazed at how a company mm. that's not even in profit is raising money. And part of that, I would say, is that perhaps there's been a pitch and that person has been able to appeal to our human instinct, greed. So think about that. How can you say that the time is right for this business? Mr. Neil Patch, thank you very much indeed to you, sir. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, Tom.